0: Welcome to Over the Hill. I'm Thomas Corgan, a Georgetown 2014 alum. Our guest for this episode is Kimmy Yam, a fellow Class of 2014 graduate, the pride of Saugerties, New York, and journalist for NBC News and NBC Asian America in New York City. Kimmy reports on issues and stories about and of importance to the Asian American and Pacific Islander community in the United States. She previously worked for the Huffington Post in New York. Today I'll be talking to Kimmy about her career as a journalist, how Georgetown influenced her life's path, and what it means to be in the media covering communities of color in this moment. Welcome to Over the Hill.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you, especially you, the great Thomas Corrigan, you know, a huge radio show host of Georgetown, you know, back in the day, I remember that, uh, Thomas. I'm oh very my excited gosh. about this opportunity. <laughs> my
0: WGTB days were uh, a bit different, um, thankfully. <laughs> um, but thanks so much for, for coming on and I know I'm sitting with the journalist, so I'm going to be extra careful to be objective. But I have to say, I'm a huge fan of your work, Kimmy. I follow it all the time. And I think it's especially important now uh, in how it elevates and amplifies perspectives that we don't hear a lot about in traditional or even, quote unquote, new media. So super excited to do this.
1: Thank you. Wow. I'm like, you're hyping me up a lot, Thomas. I'm excited for this. Just keep it coming. <laughs>
0: well, I wondered if, if you could start off kind of describing your beat at NBC and, and kind of how it fits into NBC media as a whole.
1: Um, yeah, so I, as you very correctly and accurately described before I, um, Report on issues that disproportionately impact the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, um, and so what that means is that there's a lot of intersections between um, the community and various different issues. So I kind of drill into those and look into, you know, APIs in politics or APIs in entertainment and kind of like that whole gamut, um, you know, and culture as well and so you kind of look into the intersections between you know all those circles and look at what you know what is of huge importance to the Asian American community because I think that in you know in the U.S. still to this day I think that there is this perception that Asian Americans are basically white whatever that means and so it's a lot of correcting um, you know these false perceptions of Asian Americans in the U.S. and also educating people about the community, celebrating stuff in the community, um, you know, reporting on disparities, kind of the whole nine yards. Um, And so in NBC, I'm part of our diversity verticals, but my work is really just shared across the whole NBC News site. So we have kind of our own community where we talk to our people. It's like a kind of a safe space. And then it's also shared among like the larger mainstream public, if that makes sense. Also, my cat is screaming in the background. if you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a nice, that's a nice touch to this interview.
0: Yeah, totally COVID times. Um, so was there, was there like, an, an element of your Georgetown experience, or another part of of kind of where you came from that that kind of motivated you to to do this type of journalism. I, as I mentioned before, you were at the Huffington Post, and it, it was kind of a, a similar community journalism type angle. And I just I wondered what what drew you to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm. I feel like you know this about me. I'm I'm not the type of person that likes boring shit. Like I can't, I'm not the type of person who's able to do kind of the same routine every single day. And I feel like journalism was a way in which I could like never grow up, <laughs> do something different every day, explore a different issue, talk to someone new every single day. And um, that's definitely like the Guiding uh, force behind, you know, why I wanted to pursue journalism. But in terms of how Georgetown kind of influenced it, I think that um, Georgetown was kind of the first time where, you know, under or after studying with people like uh, Michael Eric Dyson, and then even um, you know experiences with uh, Donna Brazile. Um, You know, I kind of started to interrogate my own identity in a way that I don't think I had before and kind of accept these different parts of myself that I feel like, you know, I didn't get the chance to do so before and then also look at um, You know why we don't live in this post racial society as a lot of people seem to think. And so I think I it was definitely like a catalyst for me to look into race in America, uh, and, you know, race and even like issues like sexism and how these two things like, you know, are oftentimes like combined, um, racism and sexism combined to have this very insidious, you know, disease I guess um, that impacts like communities of color in a certain way Um, and I think that you know Georgetown even though I think that there are portions of that experience that I think um, and portions of people in my Georgetown experience that tried to erase that. um, I think the teachers there really pushed us to kind of think about these things much more critically and i i'm very very grateful for that um i think that you know one thing that was kind of a gap between um you know my upbringing and georgetown is you know i think that i come from um a restaurant family and i think that you know my parents didn't go to college um we kind of looked at college as something that makes you like this very noble, brilliant, talented person. Uh, I don't know if you have that as well, where, you know, you look at a school like Georgetown as like a paragon of morality and excellence and stuff like that. um, And that isn't necessarily the case. (laughs) I think that, um, you know, one really, really eye-opening experience for me was when I remember the day that George Zimmerman was acquitted um, of murdering Trayvon Martin. I remember like peers from Georgetown celebrating about it. And I think that that was the day that that kind of illusion was shattered. And so I think I, I tried to figure out what it meant, you know, to have all this new vocabulary around like racism, around sexism, around all these issues that I don't know if I like interrogated as strongly before to have all that, um, you know, vocabulary, but also to look around and realize that, okay, more education doesn't necessarily make you a better, more noble, more empathetic person. Um, And so I think that, you know, after Georgetown, moving to New York city and kind of reintegrating into the community where, um, you know, my parents started out like the really gritty ethnic enclave of Chinatown and like, Where, you know, where my parents really, really like their roots in the United States are like that was when I was was able to kind of Fit it all together and figure out like, okay, how, how are you, how can you be more sensitive to your community while also speaking to them, like in a language that makes sense. But while also understanding that, you know, just because you come from more education doesn't actually make you like a better person. Um, And so all these different things combined, I think, you know, make it so that I feel a tremendous duty to kind of represent the community right or cover these issues correctly. Um, You know, and ultimately, I am very, very grateful for whatever path um, I've chosen because I have had all these different experiences and they're they're vastly different at every stage of life but I think that it's necessary to kind of look at everything from a much bigger picture and cover things accurately and sensitively.
0: I totally see that and I feel like when we graduated in 2014 it was almost the beginning of this kind of reckoning with the illusion that maybe the Obama era had put on U.S. media in terms of as you said the post-racial illusion um and from there it's only i think these issues have only come out more which i think is very constructive um even though it's not as as pleasant i think for a lot of white americans yeah Uh, but you so after graduation you went to new york um when you joined the huffington post were you Motivated with this mindset right away to work for Asian Voices? Or was that something you found after starting there? Or how did that come about?
1: Um, so I applied to HuffPost with the curiosity of why there wasn't an Asian voices section. Like, that was a very clear thought in my mind, because at the time, I think they had a section for Latinx, they had um, queer voices, they had a section for women, they had a section for, you know, Black voices, they had, um, you know, all these communities. And then it was a very, it was just so blatantly obvious that there was nothing for Asian Americans. Um, And so, you know, I think it is, very representative of how a lot of America sees Asian Americans, right? It's like, oh, they don't have, uh, there's this perception that like, they don't have issues, they don't have problems. So, you know, it leads to this sort of erasure um, in our entire, you know, American story. And I think that that was always in the back of my mind. Um, And so to be able to launch something and help launch something as important as uh, Asian Voices at HuffPost was was always a dream of mine. And I, I glad, I'm glad we were able to do it but it definitely wasn't without challenges and I think that a lot of it you know mainstream media has an issue with um, how we cover you know people of different backgrounds. I think that you know when you advocate for something you know, like the Asian American community, when you come from the Asian American community, it's it's seen as, you know, if you're asking for equity in the newsroom, it's not seen as that. <laughs> it's not seen as fairness. It's seen as um, activism, you know, it's seen, seen mm-hmm. as like you were, I know in the academic community, they call it me search when, you know, it. it There's this illusion that it comes from a selfish place, but no one not a single white reporter is ever You know asked why do you cover all this white shit? (laughs) You know like they don't they don't ask you that but they will they will ask me like oh Why do you keep talking about Asian shit all the time? Like I get that comment all the fucking time (laughs) and like that is where I think we have a lot of problems um, in mainstream media and I think that what trying to launch something like an entirely new vertical at HuffPost was like a huge lesson and like, you know, maybe people don't know. And I think it's hard for people to wrap their minds around the fact that, you know, this idea of objectivity is so linked to whiteness. It is so the middle is just white. And then if you skew, if you want to talk about another race, you're you're entering activism territory and that really is not the case um and so i think that that you know that was a huge lesson there uh and being at HuffPost and being able to do that i think i'm I'm very very happy with that but i think nbc was definitely the next step where i don't Right now, in this space and time, I don't feel like I have to constantly be like, this issue matters. I'm going to scream my head off. I, I have to, you know, be the most annoying ass person in the room now because you're not paying attention. You know, like, I don't feel like I have to do all that because I think there's much more of an understanding that these issues are, are really important and worthy of coverage.
0: So, um I don't know if I
1: answered the question at all. (laughs) It's just a on a rant there.
0: (laughs) In that vein, in in NBC, at NBC, can you describe how it's how it's different than the Asian voices vertical at the Huffington Post?
1: You know, I I think now I'm very, very much. um, I feel like I'm very tied to the community and very tied in with our community groups and much of my work has to do with um you know these like bigger picture issues um and it's not so closely dependent on you know traffic or anything like that you know i think that um what i do now there's there's less of uh, like I, I don't feel like I have to give as much of a rationale as to why things are important. <laughs> I think there's more of an understanding of why things are important and why me as an Asian American journalist, like I would have insight into something and it's not considered, uh, you know, I don't feel like it's considered activism right now. I feel like it's, I feel like I am doing very objective journalism in my space without it being skewed as some other, some other issue, you know? And I think that I feel very fortunate about that. Um, And and I also think that that's super rare. I don't think that that exists everywhere. And I don't think that, um, you know, I I really don't think that other mainstream sites, I mean, HuffPost is great. HuffPost at least had an Asian voices section. You know, I think most other, Media outlets don't have that. I don't think that they have people concentrated um, on, you know, telling, reminding America that you know these issues matter too. We're not going to center white voices. We're going to center whatever communities involved in the story. Um, and I think that you know, I feel, you know, that that's the next step. And so I think that right now at this this point in time, I'm able to do that at NBC, but I would love to see that at different outlets where people aren't afraid to take on, you know, issues that they might consider niche, but aren't niche at all to these communities, you know?
0: Yeah, so can you, can you walk us through how you approach a story when it, it is related to the Asian American calendar community, um, but it's obviously, you know, news that's, And unfortunately, or is is out of maybe like an editorial meeting at another outlet It's outside of their scope because they're not paying attention to it or, or, I don't know, could you talk about how you find pieces that you want to elevate in what's happening?
1: Yeah, I, I talk to community groups. I talk to, um, Politicians, congressmen, representatives. I talk to academics a lot. I think that one, one thing that I feel like is really, really missing from a lot of coverage is like I think it's when it it comes to covering, um, you know, marginalized communities. The really like sexy thing to do is go and cover entertainment and like big names and like stuff like that, where it it seems super interesting because the masses are going to care if Jeremy Lin says some shit, you know, but I feel like in order to really get a good understanding of, you know, what issues are most important, you have to be so tuned into the community. So I've spent a lot of time talking to community groups, um, a lot of time scouring different issues and a lot of time in research. Um, and if I find something that's timely or, you know, I, I'm constantly in talks with different uh, community groups. Will let me know. You know, there are certain cases that are really important. There's certain policies, legislation that's that's going to be passed that pertains to the community. And you know, I think centering these voices, interviewing these people who are at the center of the story. Like for example, um, when George Floyd was killed, I think one of the officers who was standing there during the whole thing was Asian American, he's Hmong American. Um, and a lot of people are talking about how, you know, this is representative of uh, anti-Blackness within the Asian American community. But another issue with that is that um, people are also presuming that all of Asian America comes from the same degree of power and privilege, and that's not true, and especially for Hmong Americans who actually have uh, the lowest income across uh, across many different uh, measures compared to every single other demographic, um, and so when you are talking about privilege uh, and when people need to examine their own privileges, that the way that we cover that is not going to be the same as when we're you know covering um, you know what white Americans should be doing. It's very different. Um, And so centering those voices as in like talking to Hmong scholars, talking to Hmong um, representatives and people in the political sphere and then talking to Hmong activists and then business owners, all of that is super important, you know, and for me to go and then talk to, for example, like in East Asian Uh, And center an East Asian voice and something like that would not be right would not be sensitive would not be accurate even Um, and so I think that for me when I think about how to cover something it's a lot about like, am I doing this in the accurate best way Um, getting the most the most responsible picture for Asian America as I can. Like I ask myself all the time and and that's how I'd approach something. And if it, you know, everything needs to move the community forward and move individuals forward in a way that, you know, a lot of media hasn't. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the way that we haven't, we've been depicted in the past hasn't. And so that's, that's at the center of everything.
0: Yeah. Do you find it especially challenging because of how diverse and nuanced the Asian American community is? in the U.S. given that there are so many different types of, of Asian Americans and it's being funneled into this NBC Asian America bucket, Is that something that you have to actively like redirect to or how challenging is that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it's super tough um, because we are so diverse. And if I'm not the right person to cover a story, I really won't cover You know, I think um, if there is a writer that could better cover the story because they know much more or they're able to do something so much more sensitively, um, you know, oftentimes, like, I I won't cover a story because there, there's a resource that's better, there's, there's expertise there. Um, And so I think that's important. I think, you know, Asian America has always been difficult to cover i think for a lot of different reasons including the fact that because we are a an immigrant population and that so many immigrants do come from backgrounds that were you know traumatic i think that just as a very active having to move to a country where you don't really know the language and you're trying to start a life and there's no resources for you there's no language resources mental health resources all these things that are culturally competent I think that that's all terrifying and then given the fact that so many of our families come from you know come come to the U.S. after fleeing regimes or fleeing different revolutions and things like that. I think that makes it really hard for a lot of people in Asian America to speak out and to be comfortable going to a news source um, to really talk about these things. And so I, I think that, you know, I've definitely, and in covering anything from, you know, the George Floyd protests to, you know, our food. I think that I've had to really step back and look at, you know, like, am I being sensitive? Am I understanding that point of view? Is the resistance to a certain idea or is the anger towards a certain question or something like that? Is that because I didn't think enough? And I think that because of that, I think, um, you know, covering these different groups, I think I I learned a lot about developing relationships with, you know, community members and doing so in a way that isn't superficial. You know, at the end of the day, it's not about like, oh, I'm getting a good story. It's like, oh, is this community getting what it actually deserves? It's not about putting out the most salacious thing. It's none of that. It's like, how impactful is my journalism? Is this the truth? And I think that, you know, that will always be um, something that I think everybody needs to keep in mind when it comes to covering these different groups and how do you do it when it is so diverse and so sensitive um and so of course you know nbc asian america is not perfect but i think we do a really good job of making sure that you know we're not doing something for clicks we're not doing something um you know for a white audience
0: right now i know you have um you have a really active presence on social media And I was wondering how you use it to form that approach and and strike that balance between clicks and substantive journalism.
1: Most of my social media hasn't, I don't think it's changed much. Like, like, I feel like most of my personality has been, like, very much the same, even, like, since college, I feel like it's been pretty much the same and i felt like it was important to keep it that way and not not like suddenly become this like a very buttoned up humanoid human being you know what i mean like a very like a what is it an automaton is that the word like emotionless like non-human like i didn't ever want to be that and i feel like people expect journalists to do that and you know i felt like i would be doing a disservice to myself um, if i did that and so i think that you know i i feel like if i do good work if i put in the effort to make sure you know i'm being sensitive to my communities and then i do the work in like really wrapping my head around or doing research and like going the extra mile to look into different legislation or like examine you know different politicians or examine you know you know any sector of our community my work should speak for itself and the rest like the rest is just fun And that's it you know like i always felt like it was just really really important for me to be really real and authentic and if i expected other people to be real and authentic with me in our interviews like i was going to keep it real the whole fucking time and so i think that you know that's usually the first thing that like if so if like a really horrible racist sexist person hates me that's always the first thing they pick on like they'll go to my social media and be like oh my god like look you stupid cunt you were wearing a crop top here you shouldn't at NBC news fire her you know like that's always the first thing that happens um but i i feel very proud that i've been able to be that same i don't know that same human being just be me and that's it and not have to like conform to anything while while also you know doing good journalism i think that that's important i know that you know, last summer i taught a class um, for the school of the new york times and i had all these kids who were I, I think it was the most diverse group i've ever been in like we had it was so colorful the classroom was super colorful people from all different walks of life and they're all so smart um and i think you know the kids asked me they're like okay do we have to like be a certain way in the newsroom or do we have to change you know who we are and i think that that I don't know that made me just so sad like people who think that they you know being overly quote professional or whatever was going to equate to like a higher intelligence like I don't, I don't believe that at all and so I think that I'm always going to like crack stupid jokes on social media I am always going to like laugh at dumb shit I will always do that but I will always just like when it comes to my job it is you know, I'm going to go the extra mile to do it. And then there's no really mixing in between. It's just like it all exists in the same person. And I feel like I've been pretty proud that I've, I've maintained that.
0: Can you recall a story of late that got like the most constructive or positive even um, response on social media from like the the broadest cross section of people?
1: couple, I mean, I wrote about um, the inventor of the N95 mask, and I interviewed him about, you know, coming out of retirement to work during this pandemic, and he is a Taiwanese immigrant. um, And it's like a strange time for him to be working because it's, it's, the nation isn't exactly very kind to Asian Americans right now. Um, And that definitely got, was super well received. Um, And, you know, I also, I just published a profile on Ted Lieu, um, congressman from California, uh, and that seems to be very well received. There are definitely angry, racist people who are like, "You're an agent of China," or whatever. But you know, other than that, it seems like pretty. It seems pretty okay. It seems pretty okay.
0: Um, so in the in the vein of of the NBC Asian America or community journalism vehicles. Um, do you think that the way that things are moving now, um, the American media landscape will always, as we do now, need journalists that that amplify voices in the AAPI community, or do you see a future where, as you said before, there is equity? In the newsroom and those types of outlets will i don't know i don't want to say integrate but will do you feel like we're moving in the right direction
1: so i okay i think that there's a lot of different like schools of thought on this i personally feel like the reason why a lot of these sections are important it and why you know because our work appears all like on NBC news just like the main page and then we also have like a section for us and i feel like it's kind of the same function that like for example like an asian american club has right it's like it's really safe space where your people get to talk to each other um you know and discuss issues you know in our own household right and like a lot of times, there are issues like, you know, the issue of anti-blackness or um, sexism within the Asian American community. That that's that should that's discussed in house. That's discussed in our house. So, for a section like us to to have a story about any of those topics, you know, for our own community, that's kind of like for our own community to debate. Um, And I've always felt like that's why these are super important, that they are kind of, you know, they're not necessarily places where, you know, a non-Asian person is going to come in and be like, oh my God, I'm going to save all these Asian women from these horrible men. Like, that's not what, you know, that's not what we need. We need like an honest conversation, I think, about certain issues between ourselves. Um, And I think, by having these sections, we're able to do that. Um, I think that there's places that don't have that. And for those, you know, I think that you have to be extra careful um, when you don't really house something within a community or I think that you have to Mm -hmm. be cognizant of that and understand that, okay, what I'm writing right now is going in front of a non-Asian audience and going in front of you know, people that aren't necessarily like from like have that background context to why things are the way they are in like among our households, um, and so you know that's that's definitely something I think about pretty often, um, and I think that right now, whether or not we're actually moving towards that is very difficult to say i mean like you know i see outlets make mistakes all the time um and it's outlets that i love and i've respected for so long um you know and i think a lot of it has come down to the fact that our newsrooms just need to be more diverse and i feel like you know nbc announced efforts to really really like like put forth a lot of effort into making ourselves more diverse. I think that there, you know, a lot of different um, mainstream outlets need to do that, too. Um, You know, like I've always looked at the New York Times. I mean, what journalist hasn't looked at the New York Times? Oh, my God, I want to work there, whatever. But then the New York Times will make make mistakes, too. You know, so I covered the Hmong community and about, you know, what place do they hold in Asian America, um, you know, if we're dealing with something like the model minority that's going to erase the fact that they are the poorest group among, you know, across several different measures of income um, compared to every single other group, they have, um, there are no resources for this refugee group that, you know, America placed in a lot of urban areas. Um, that already had issues with infrastructure were already very low resource. And then on top of that, they're not going to, you know, properly integrate like this new population. And so, you know, in order to do that, you have to do like cover that community super sensitively. And I know that I was going to do it in, like when you look at the community, a different community, you have to know that, you know, you're not better than them. You're not, none of that shit. As I mentioned before, going to Georgetown or whatever does not make you a better person. In fact, there were a lot of George Zimmerman <laughs> sympathizers from what I remember. And so for me, like covering these things, you come from a place where we are on the same level. I'm always on the same level as anyone else that I'm interviewing. It doesn't matter what walk of life they're from, but I'm looking at the New York Times like take on the Hmong community. And the first sentence was something like, they come from the jungles of laos and i'm like why are you talking about them like they're mythical creatures like they're just like one of my friends is mom like they're just regular ass human beings just treat them like a community that you're equal to don't talk about it like it's like some dumb fantasy thing you know and so i think that um media has not gotten to that point we still look at people that don't look like us um and we're like you know, I think that people cover it in a very national geographic way <laughs> where it's like, oh my God, this like new universe, like Columbus just discovered America. You know, it's like a very like there is a weird hierarchy to it. And I don't you know that that has led to a lot of different problems. and I think that has contributed to a lot of disparities in the U.S. Um, because of how inaccurately people have 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 covered these different communities and so you know going forward whether or not there's progress here is really dependent on how much you know the media is going to look at um like look at these groups as equal and really treat the issues like legitimate issues like i think that if i'm pitching something i'm like okay i want to what did i do today today i worked on a thing about um you know demands from uh like 150 congressmen getting the DOJ and Bill Barr to take action against the anti-Asian COVID racism. If I say something like that, I think that people need to be like, oh, that's a real, that's an American issue, right? This is a thing that's impacting all of America. And it's like a, a, um, it's something that the entire, the entirety of like American society should no, should be aware of. Um, it's not like, oh, this is your Asian shit, okay. Like, I think that so much of the reason why uh, a lot of these outlets, A, don't have enough coverage about these communities, and B, like, don't cover them well is because they're they're seen as, like, very niche topics when they really aren't. It's just because we've, you know, we're, we're going to put, we're going to center things that, um, have always been centered, which is like a very white concept, you know. It's, those issues are always going to be seen as priorities, whereas like the things happening in our minority communities aren't necessarily seen that way. Um, and so, until that that really happens, until we're like, okay, this is actually an important, like everybody should know about it, um, and we are going to put forth resources so that reporters from this community and editors from this community can really understand, or can really cover this in like an accurate way. I think until that happens, um, journalism is going to have issues. And I think that, you know, it's not, it's definitely not perfect now. It was never perfect, but I think that right now we're just seeing just how bad it is, especially with, you know, protests happening and, and this new reckoning for racial justice.
0: Yeah, and I think you raised a lot of important reminders for us, the consumers of news, um, you know, to challenge the, the kind of perceived infallibility of outlets like the New York Times and also recognize, you know, the context that all reporting kind of comes from.
1: Well, how do you feel about the reporting? How do you feel about the direction we're going in? under like in an age where people don't necessarily trust journalists anymore
0: I think the point about the newsroom diversity I think is the most like salient to me because I think until people see themselves in in, in journalists and and in newsrooms it's always gonna have like lack that credibility um, and I think people should see themselves in, in all kinds of leadership and professions um but yeah i think it's it's a really tough time for both government and and journalism because people are questioning everything and i don't know if that's always the right tact because it's sometimes not very constructive but
1: (laughs) yeah Um, i mean this like whole it's very interesting because i think what's going on now too is like people will trust personalities over like legitimate journalists like legitimate institutions that have you know layers of of review and we're able to you know fact check everything and there's standards and there's all this stuff um and it's like yeah it's it's very interesting to see now um like where the entire industry is going only because human beings seem to human beings seem to be different right now I I don't know
0: I think it's a time that we need a lot more institutional protections at a moment where institutions of yesteryear are being totally shattered so how do we build those protections for the future and standards as you say
1: Yeah, that's true. I remember on like one of my last, I wanna say one of my last classes with Madeline Albright, she was like, we need you. (laughs) We were like going around the room saying what we were doing after school. I remember I was like, I'm just gonna be a journalist. She was like, oh yeah, we need you, we need you now. Um, It was like, it's, I don't know. I guess it's like very interesting to see like even someone like Madeline Albright who you know, does not have a perfect record and I think that and she's also been, you know, a trailblazer and it's interesting to see like what relationship these people with tremendous power have to the media as well. And for some reason that like shocked me that she was excited that I was going to media. I was like, oh, okay.
0: Well, I want to thank you so much, Kimmy, for speaking with me today on Over the Hill. It's always fantastic to talk with you. Um, Also for our listeners, you can follow Kimmy and her very important work at NBC on Twitter and Instagram at KimmyThePoo. I'd also like to thank the founders of Over the Hill, Courtney Mastrangelo, Matt Chung and Roland Templeman for creating this platform for Georgetown alums. Thank you for listening. And you can stay up to date on future episodes by following Over the Hill on your favorite podcast provider. Thank you, Kimmy.
1: Thank you.